0: Well, it's indeed good to be back with you after uh, being gone a week, <clears throat> vacation. It's always good to go and good to come back. It's always a joy <clears throat> of mine to be here on Sundays. And anytime I'm away, it's <clears throat> a part of me that's kind of missing, uh, even though I'm having a good time with family. And, um, but it's good to be back today. I wanna encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're gonna take a week break from the book of Daniel. <clears throat> be back there next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 be our passage today. We're going to read it kind of as we go this morning. It's a long chapter. We're going to be looking at bits and pieces of most of the chapter today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray now and ask for the Lord's help, and uh, we'll begin. Father, as we turn now on your word, Lord, would you give us understanding of it? We need your Holy Spirit. We need your assistance. So, Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are responsive, that our lives may be changed and that you would be glorified? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have you ever prepared for something that never actually happened? Perhaps you folks in the military know this quite well. Constant training, uh, hoping to never have to use that in live combat. But what about other examples? How many of you have ever been stood up for a date? Spent the whole day to get ready for that date and it didn't happen. Or maybe that preparation for a job that you've been wanting to get. You've gone to the interview. You've gone to a second interview. You've invested time only to find out they chose someone else. What about investing in a long-term relationship that was looking like marriage, but it suddenly came to an end? Think about working hard to make the team, only to find out that you didn't make the cut. Think about the disappointment and discouragement that comes in times like these. Think about that. Perhaps even as I've gone down that list, I've rekindled some hurt in your heart. We're getting to some good stuff this morning. There's good news, I promise. But as hard as those times can be, what if we applied that same experience to the resurrection? What if we lived out a life of faith, of obedience to God, in a risen Savior, only to find out later that the resurrection was not true after all? I mean, can you have a Christianity Without the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can it exist? John MacArthur put it this way just as the heart pumps life giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. Friends, without the resurrection, the blood stops flowing. And Christianity dies. The good news is, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ today, that there will not be a time that you'll be let down in the end. The resurrection is foundational to our faith. There have always been those who've wanted to claim Otherwise. There's always been those that have wanted to to say, well, the resurrection didn't happen. Well, it's a bit ironic when they make this claim because they still have no proof. Just take us to the tomb and show us the bones. Just do it. It's a fact that Jesus was a historical figure. Even atheists and agnostics do not deny that. When it comes to the miraculous things, though, things such as the resurrection, that's when begin, people begin to quickly part ways with Bible-believing Christians. We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What we have here in 1 Corinthians 15 is a problem, not that the Christians in Corinth were having with the world, but a problem that was, that the Christians in Corinth were having within the church. There were, there were many issues in Corinth, right? If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, this was not uh, necessarily a healthy church. It was had its issues. But one of the strikes against this struggling church was the fact that some in the church were denying the bodily resurrection of believers. They were saying when you die, it's pretty much it. There's, there's no future resurrection. See, the... the the error that they had embraced was not a disbelief in Christ's resurrection, but a rejection of their own future resurrection. So Paul's main argument here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that may surprise you is not, he's not arguing for the sake of defending the resurrection of Jesus, although he does that. Rather, he's arguing for the validity of the future resurrection of believers. And he bases that argument on the fact that Christ is indeed risen. So let's look at this passage together this morning. We're gonna consider three important truths about the resurrection today. We're gonna look at the evidence of it, the importance of it, and the effect of it. The evidence of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection, and the effect of the resurrection Let's begin with the evidence of the resurrection. I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 15. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and, by, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." Notice what Paul does here in the beginning of chapter fifteen. He's remember he's he's seeking to correct an error that's taking place in the church. They were denying the future bodily resurrection of believers. Some of crept into the church saying, "Hey, this whole thing about this whole thing that that there's Jeremy or Trey that prayed about it. Yeah, just, yeah, they may be praying about it, but don't buy it, right? This this whole idea when you die that you're going to be raised again and given a new body. Come on." This was the problem in the church of Corinth. And, and Paul begins confronting that issue by seeking to remind the brothers and sisters there of the gospel that had been preached to them. Verse 1, we see that. Reminding them of the gospel, the very gospel that saved them, the very gospel in which they stand in the present and are being saved. Let that, by the way, be yet another reminder. But as Christians we we never graduate from the gospel do we no matter who you are today christian or not you need the good news of jesus christ you need the gospel of grace if you're not a Christian, you need the gospel of grace to make you a Christian, to bring you to life. If you are a Christian, you need the gospel of grace to, re- be, re- to re- be reminded of this glorious news to spur you on, to give you strength, to give you encouragement. Let this be a reminder to us that we can easily go astray, that we need to be reminded of the gospel often. Often. That's why we sing about the gospel. That's why we pray about the gospel. That's why we want to be reminded time and time again because apparently some in Corinth were forgetting the gospel. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm reminding you of what I preached to you. Don't forget that. And central to that very gospel was the fact that That not only Christ died for our sins, but that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And then Paul begins to unpack the evidence for this fact. Let's notice the evidence of the resurrection. First of all, we see the witness of the scriptures in verses 1 through 4, a couple of times we see this phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul was a Bible preacher. Everything he believed, everything he proclaimed was coming, not from his own made-up fairy tales in his own heart. It was coming from a source, and that source was the very Word of God. As Paul walked them through memory lane, his argument is not a subjective argument, but it's rooted in objective fact. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was foretold all throughout the Old Testament. Go to Psalm chapter 16, 8 through 11, Isaiah 53, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, the, the book of Jonah. Just on and on we could Go. And Paul is reminding them that Jesus fulfilled everything the Old Testament had predicted. Everything, including his resurrection. So the Bible, the Old Testament at this point, gave witness to this fact. Friends, when we have disagreements and debates, whether it's with the secularist or with atheist or with other religious groups, I can guarantee you that the, 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 the level on which the argument should take place is not an argument in a particular area of doctrine. Really, the disagreement, you can trace every argument, every disagreement, all the way back to a fundamental difference that we have with others. And it is what is your source of authority? If your source of authority is anything different than the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, then we are on different grounds. This is what Paul is basing his argument, he's beginning with the word, isn't he? He's beginning with the scriptures. Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. Who could? Christ did this in accordance with the scriptures. He's embracing a view of the trustworthiness of the Bible. And the Bible, friends, has proven faithful over the decades, over the centuries, over the millennia, and it will continue to do so. Just to encourage you, even this Friday night, to come out to our secret church event. And if you've not signed up for that, I encourage you to do that. We'll be meeting from 6 p.m. until midnight this Friday going through a simulcast with David Platt on believing the truth of the Bible in an age of skepticism. So consider coming to that. Consider signing up to that today as we think again about the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of the Bible. This is exactly where Paul is making his argument from. The witness of the scriptures. Number two, a second source of evidence is the witness of the 12. See in verse five, then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, Then to the 12, the first eyewitnesses that saw Jesus in his resurrected body and recognized him, the first one was Peter, and then later on Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples as they gathered that same evening. Resurrection. We find that account in John chapter 20. You may think, well, there was actually only 11 of them at this point. Why does he refer to him as the 12? Well, Again, this, that's kind of how they were known, right? It would be no different than saying when you're referring to the Big Ten, right? There's 14 teams in the Big Ten, not 10. It's kind of the same kind of concept here. It's, it's, it's just kind of a, a title for the 12. So the collective witness we find here of Jesus' 12 closest followers, as we see, is documented. Not just here, but also in the gospel accounts. And there were others, not not mentioned here necessarily, but in other accounts, we know that there were others, women like Mary, the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, saw Jesus. Third piece of evidence is the witness, we could say the witness of the church. Verse six, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of who have fallen asleep, that means they've died. Or not, not most, some. Most are still alive, some have fallen asleep. Some have died, but most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them, he's saying. 500. We know that Jesus had several appearances after his resurrection, but there was at least one occasion where some 500 people encountered him. That's like twice the size of this group in here. And we have another, the witness of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And we know that a year and a half or so before this, uh, before Jesus died, James still did not believe in him. Can you imagine that? Jesus' own half-brother wasn't buying it. About Jesus. John chapter seven, verse five. Now we're told, then he appeared to James. James and to all the apostles. Later on, we know that James becomes a very instrumental part of the early church. We have the witness of Paul himself. And he says in verse eight, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul recalls his own point of conversion when he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus there in Acts chapter 9. So Paul is just stacking up evidence after evidence, piece after piece, of the fact that Jesus had been raised from the dead. He goes out of his way here to saturate his argument with evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And this is going to be his main argument, this main source of evidence to argue for the future resurrection of believers. So he wants there to be no question, no doubt that Jesus was alive and is alive. We could go more and more about the evidence, but let's move now to the importance of the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. Paul now turns his to his main source of contention with the Corinthians. He he just wants to kind of lay it up front. Y'all are denying the future bodily resurrection of believers. Let me just stay up front. Listen, Jesus is alive. Jesus has been raised. Let's pick up in verse 12 and read down to verse 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see Paul's reasoning here, his logic He's arguing that if it's true that there's no future resurrection of the believer, he's gonna die and that's it, then it's also true that Christ has not been raised from the dead. Some argue that there was this, this notion that they didn't, these false teachers didn't necessarily disagree with the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead but they were disagreeing with the fact that we would be raised to have a future resurrection. That's, why would you even make a difference? That's Paul's point, right? He's saying, listen, if you're making this, this argument that there's no future resurrection hope for us, then why would you defend? Why would you believe that Christ has been raised? If, if we aren't raised, then Christ has not been raised. It was a wasted effort. And then Paul begins to unpack for us The essential importance of the resurrection in the rest of the chapter. He's saying here, I've, I've demonstrated that Jesus has in fact been raised from the dead. Now let me let me unpack for you why that's important and what that means for you and your future. First of all, we could summarize these these subpoints in this way. First of all, if there's no resurrection. There's no gospel. If there's no resurrection. There, there's no gospel. Remember, the first verse, Paul is reminding them of the gospel. Gospel means good news. And included in that gospel, that good news is the resurrection of Jesus. And now he says in verse 14, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching and our faith, Both are in vain. If Christ has not been raised, he says, then what good is your faith? What good is it? He goes even further to help them see this connection and he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Friends, this is is huge. Still in your sins. That's bad news. The opposite of good news. How can that be connected to the resurrection? I mean, couldn't we hypothetically have a Jesus who died for our sins but not be resurrected? I mean, after all, there are other religions out there who have a, a, a savior of types or a God that they worship whose tomb they go to, to honor and revere. Couldn't we just be like them? Have a dead savior? Friends, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then your salvation was not achieved. The book of Romans, chapter six, or excuse me, in chapter four, verse 20. Paul here is writing to the church at Rome and he's recounting the faith of Abraham, the Old Testament. He's talking about the faith that Abraham had. And in verse 20, he says, concerning Abraham and his faith, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul is making the argument here that that our faith in Christ, who died for our trespass, that he was crucified on a cross for our sin, taking the the righteous anger and judgment of God upon himself, instead of it being upon us, he took it upon himself, and then three days later was raised from the dead to secure once and for all our salvation and our justification. We know elsewhere in the Bible that the The scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. And so if Jesus had remained dead, then death had victory over him and it would remain victorious over us. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. We have hope in this present life and in the life to come. We have hope even in our own future resurrection because, in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, we're told. As we know in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25, as Jesus comes to disrupt a funeral, Lazarus' his friend had died, and there later on he's speaking and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That, that, that is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Friend, that is news that is good and glorious and it is for you. If you're here today and you would say, I'm not really a Christian. I'm just kind of here, and maybe here with a relative or a friend or just kind of checking things out, but I'm not a Christian. I wouldn't claim to be a Christian. First of all, we're thankful that you're here. Always welcome with us. You're always welcome to be here. But what we would also want to just tell you is that these very words that Jesus speaks and these very words inspired of the Holy Spirit that Paul writes are written so that you, friend, can have hope. Because the fact is, is that we all, we all created in the image of God that we are, all of us created in God's image, all of us valuable, all of us important in that way, but yet all of us have rejected God, our creator. We've turned our back against him. We've rebelled and and sought to live life in our own way, kind of doing our own thing. We've checked out, so to speak. We're like, thanks for making us, we're doing our own thing now. We've rebelled against the creator. And friend, one day we will be held accountable to him. When you die, you will be held accountable to the very one that created you. And yet, if you remain in that state of rebellion against God and in your sin against him. And the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. You will be eternally separated from God and all of his beauty and all of his glory, suffering in an eternity outside of his presence in a place called hell. Let that sink in for a moment. Eternity. With no God. <clears throat> Suffering. You think the world's bad now. That, that is your state if you are not a Christian. That is your verdict. That is the sentence placed upon your life right now. But friend, there's good news. God in his kindness, and in his love, and in his grace, loved us so much that he willingly sent his son into the world. And the Lord Jesus lived a life we will never live. He lived in perfect obedience to his father, fulfilling everything in the the law, fulfilling everything he was required to do and never sinned, not once. And yet was crucified to an old rugged cross. Why? Not for his sin, but for the sins and punishment for all who would ever believe in him. And friend, the good news for you today is that if you would simply quit trusting in yourself, quit trying to seek reconciliation with God or some concept in your mind or or trying to, 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 to meditate your way out of this world, if you would just simply realize that you were created and you've rebelled against God and yet God in his kindness has given you a savior and if you would place your faith and hope in him, You will be forgiven of all your sins, adopted into his family, and given hope for all of eternity. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you trust in Christ, there will be eternity of joy, eternity of glory, eternity that will never, eternity that will never end. That's kind of redundant, but it will be an eternity that you will want to be part of. And God has given you this gift in Christ. As the Christian faith is a living faith, it is a faith full of good news. And Paul would say, but if the resurrection isn't true, then it's also true for Christ. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we would not have good news. If there's no resurrection, there's no good news. Just close the doors of Christianity. Just lump all of this stuff with the fake news that's going on today, right? It's fake news if Jesus didn't, if he wasn't raised from the dead. But Paul says, in fact, he has been raised. He has been raised. So if there's no resurrection, there's no good news. There's no gospel. Number two, if there's no no resurrection, there's no ministry. In verse 14, Paul says, our preaching is in vain. In verse 15, he goes on to say, we would be found misrepresenting God. Everything that we've preached, everything that we've taught, everything that we have committed our lives to, it's a lie if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. We'd have nothing good to say. We would have nothing good to do. Sure, we might join together as a community to try to make this world a better place because after all, this is all we've got. I was just reading an article, and in, in I think it's CNN yesterday, about the, the nuns, not N-U-N-S, the N-O-N-E-S, the millennials today that, that have no faith. And yet, they're yearning and longing for a sense of community and belonging. They're even, the article, the point was that even though I don't believe, still give me Easter kind of, kind of thing. It was just a demonstration of how these these folks were were yearning and desiring for, for community and for belonging and for importance and for connecting. But for what good? Friends, if there's no resurrection, there's no there's no sense of true lasting community. There's no sense of true lasting ministry. In fact, he goes on to say, if the resurrection isn't true there in verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, they've, they've perished. You will not see them again. Listen, listen to Paul's logic kind of unfold. Let me uh, skip down to verse 29 for a moment. We'll come back to the verses preceding that in a second. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why, why am I in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Why do I, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Do you see Paul's... Conclusion here. He, he's saying that if there's no resurrection, then what's the use of doing the things that we do? Paul Paul was. He didn't have an easy ministry. He was persecuted, he was beaten, he was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was rejected. Apparently. He took on a beast at Ephesus. On and on we could go. Verse 29, he brings up this difficult verse about being baptized on behalf of the dead. It's a hard verse to try to understand and translate, but most likely one of the likely things he's talking about there is that Those who are being baptized, those who are professing faith in Christ and being baptized because of the testimony of the dead—testimony that had preceded them of the gospel's work in their life—if that's the meaning then of of that verse of what it means to be baptized on behalf of the dead, being baptized in the because of the testimony of the dead, then why would people? If if the resurrection is is not true, then why would people get baptized based upon their testimony? Uh, but Based upon the testimony of a dead believer. After all, baptism symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection. And if I'm not going to be raised, then what good is baptism? Verses 30 through 32, why would Paul take the risk that he took? Verse 32, why not instead eat, drink, and live and be merry? For tomorrow we die. Get some more fried chicken and another keg and we're good to go. If there's no resurrection, well, why not? Verse 33 through 34, why why would we stop sinning? What's the incentive for us to try to fight against sin if the resurrection isn't true? Enjoy your sin. Enjoy it. That would be our conclusion if the resurrection weren't true. On and on we could go. Why preach the gospel? Why encourage people to believe in it? Why risk harm and discomfort if all there is is this life? It's all in vain, friends. It's all in vain. It's all useless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. All of it's. The 47 brothers and sisters blown to pieces last week in Egypt, all for nothing if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. All for nothing. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Their lives taken last week were not in vain. The hope of the gospel that we have today is not in vain. The risks that we would want to take for the sake of King Jesus, not in vain. The fight against sin, not in vain. The ministry that we pour ourselves into day after day, week after week, the, 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 the things that we want to help our children understand everything that we go about doing, not in vain because Christ is risen. We continue to preach the gospel the good news of jesus because even though it may seem like it falls on deaf ears at times it's not in vain never never is it in vain because christ has been raised so if there's no resurrection there's no ministry and then number 3 if there's no resurrection there's no hope back in verses 18 and 19 he says those that those who have died have simply died And the rest of of us in this life whose hope is in Christ, we are to be pitied. I mean, people should feel sorry for us if the resurrection isn't true. (laughs) Poor Christians. They're doing all of this for nothing. Just think of the money that they could save. Poor Christians. Think of the Time that they could save. Hours every week. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, it's Adam in the garden. Through Adam came sin and death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in, subject, in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he's expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subject, subjected to him who put all things in, in subjection under him, that God may be all and in all. Here Paul is just simply pointing to us, reminding us again that, that the, in fact Christ has been raised. Through Adam, sin came and death came as a result of sin. But through Christ, often referred to as the second Adam, through the one who did it right, the one that was obedient, the one who did honor and please his heavenly father, the one who came and gave himself for our sin, comes salvation and hope. As in Adam, all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ, the first fruits. He's the guarantee of what will follow. And all of this will take place, this change that he's talking about, this being made alive will take place at the second coming of Jesus, when those who have died will be raised, given new bodies, changed, praise God, and we will be with Christ forever. We know that in the interim, testimony of the thief on the the cross, that until that day we would be in paradise with our Savior. There's coming a day that we will be given resurrected bodies. He unpacks that for us. We're not gonna read it all, but in verses 35 through 49 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's what you're getting. Heavenly bodies, fit for heaven. Bodies that are no longer perishable. Bodies that are spiritual and eternal. Eternal. Friends, because Christ has in fact been raised from the dead, we have all the hope that we could ever ask for. Nothing more needs to be added. The work of salvation is complete. I'll just ask you, friend, where might you be placing your hope today? Where might you be looking for that source of being made whole, Because we all feel the brokenness of this world, the curse that's upon this world due to sin, don't we? You know, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know full well that things aren't right. But friend, God in Christ Jesus has made everything right if you would simply yield to him in faith. What might you be placing your hope in? Is it your your intellect, your education, your career, status, a certain relationship, acceptance. And while some of these things are good things to pursue, they cannot ultimately give you satisfying hope. Only Christ can give you that. Only Christ can give you that. Lasting hope can only be found by trusting in the resurrected Christ. And then lastly, we see the effect of the resurrection. We see the evidence, the importance of it, the effect of it. As Paul concludes here in the end of the chapter, in verse 54, he's talking about the perishable putting on the imperishable. He says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come the past saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as a result, because of this, My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that because of the resurrection of Christ is true and our coming resurrection is true, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Remember Paul had said before, if there's no resurrection, then our preaching, our faith, our work, our efforts, everything that we do in the name of Jesus, it's all useless. But his conclusion is that it's not. The exclusive hope that we have in the risen and reigning Christ catapults us into a faithful, persevering service of the risen king. Because Jesus is alive, we work, we strive, we labor, we toil, we remain steadfast, we remain immovable, we take risk, we suffer, we fight sin, we press on, we preach the gospel for the glory of our great king and our great God. Friend, the resurrection indeed matters. Without it, we have no confidence in the gospel. We have no hope for the future, and we have no motivation in the presence. But as Paul says so clearly, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So then we must believe the gospel and be faithful stewards of the gospel to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we can't thank you enough for this wonderful hope that we have in a risen Savior We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us in our sin, that you have not left us to ourselves, that you have not rejected us. Lord, you would have been just. God, you are perfect. You're not only a perfect creator, you're a perfect king. You're a perfect judge. You are perfect in everything that you are. You would have been right and just to leave us in our sin and and let us face the, the certainty of consequences because of our sin and rebellion against you. Lord, you would have been right to to judge and condemn us, but you have chosen, Lord, instead to send your own son into this world to live a life we all should have and yet die a death and take upon himself the judgment we all deserve so that whoever would place their hope and faith in him would be forgiven of all of their sin and adopted into your family. Lord, what a great work of salvation that you have given us, a salvation that you have accomplished. So Father, would you help us to realize this this morning that maybe we're here today and we're not a believer and we're not a Christian. We we hear these things, we still have questions. But Lord, maybe our heart has been opened to the truth of who you are today. Father, for that person, I pray, Lord, that you would move in their lives and that you would draw them to yourself in a glorious way. Lord, that they would not only understand who you are, but that they would give all of who they are to all that you have promised to be for us. Would you help them to find refuge and reconciliation in Christ today? And Lord, for those who are trusting in you, God, would you remind us today yet again of the gospel? So many false gospels in the world today. There's so many half-truths, so many distractions. Father, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves embracing these things. Would you help us just to have just a renewed, invigorated heart for you today? because we have a risen Savior. Father, would you work in each of us to do what only you could do and help us, Father. We pray in Christ's name, amen.